This is the Grin Podcast, and I am Hindol Sen Gupta. I am delighted to welcome a very special guest from Stanford University today. Her name is Dr. Adrian Mayer. She is a world-famous researcher on mythology and the intersection of mythology with technology. She has a wonderful new book out called Gods and Robots, and she's here to talk to us in this uh, wonderful moment. where all kinds of things are being imagined about what technology can do on how this intersects w- with what we know about our ancient world welcome to the podcast dr mayer thank you for inviting me i want to begin by asking you uh, obviously your book comes at a very interesting period uh, there are as you know um, in the area or in the part of the world that you live in there are people there are technologists who are creating the first artificial intelligence church so to speak uh, there are rec- uh, the reports that perhaps technology will help us extend our lives you know and delay aging at a time like this when you write and research a book like this what are you really trying to tell us about how we should look at our past to understand the technology of the present Well, you know, because I do live in Silicon Valley, I am aware of all of these uh, advancements as you mentioned. And um as a historian historian of science, ancient science, uh I look for the first inklings of the scientific impulse. So, I know that most historians of science trace the first automatons to the Middle Ages, but I wondered for this book, just how ancient are the roots of that uh, desire? Was it possible that the ideas about creating artificial life were thinkable able to be imagined long before technology made such enterprises possible and i did find that as early as the time of homer ancient greek myths and uh myths of other ancient cultures were envisioning how to imitate augment may even surpass nature uh in greek it would be called by uh, um biotechne which means life through craft uh the roots of the word biotechnology um so these beings in the ancient greek myths were spoken of as fabricated they were made not born which means they weren't reproduced biologically these were made by craft or artisanship uh technology really um and i think that uh time traveling back into the past uh we're looking at what are essentially some of the first science fiction stories by a pre-industrial society um the stories are pretty sophisticated and relevant today they they actually grappled with some of the practical and ethical problems that we face today tell us a little bit about the practical ethical and uh, moral problems that we face today that are reflected in some of these ancient imagining so to speak on technology which reflect upon the ethical and moral concerns of the use of technology that we face even today. Well, I think what's uh, one thing that's interesting in in almost all of the myths um is the difference between uh uh entities self-moving uh devices, automatons, robots, um uh light labor saving marvels that were made by the gods for the use of the gods. People imagine these as uh wonders that were created by engineering gods like Hephaestus in the Greek myth and uh you'll have to tell me if i'm mispronouncing this but Vish uh Vish 
Vakarman, Vishwakarman, yes, yeah. uh, the engineer god of Hindu uh, epic, um, they uh, created these things for the use of the gods, and most most of those are benign, fairly harmless, uh, until they come to Earth, onto the earthly plane, and interact with humans, then they become destructive. So it seems like the myths are are telling us or uh, reminding us that these things are interesting to think about in the abstract sense. But once uh, once they become real, uh, you get all sorts of problems. If you're thinking science, science fiction, uh, in a science fiction mode, uh, all of Asimov's laws get broken. It's interesting that you mention Vishwakarma, of course, uh, a Hindu god who's worshipped even today, uh, the god of craftsmen, so to speak, or the god of people who work with their hands. and. Um, and in this this idea that uh, in craftsmanship uh, there is you know the divinity can be imagined is an interesting idea especially at a time when there are people who are imagining that artificial intelligence might in a sense create new religions new gods so to speak you know I, I'm, I'm reminded of Neil Gaiman's book American Gods you know where the new gods of technology fight the old gods of, of you know of Greek mythology Thor and Odin and so on and so forth right um, it, yes it's almost like that scenario is playing out today yes well you know I um, I haven't thought much about uh, how AI or um, uh, automatons might affect religion but I, I did hear about a, a Buddhist um, uh, temple in Japan where they are have introduced a uh, a robot that will do uh, carry out Buddhist teachings, but um, uh, many people worry about AI developing consciousness and the, as you say, talk of uh, AI church. Um, I, I tend to agree with Stephen Hawking and other thinkers who warn against the reckless development of AI before we understand how to control it and try to anticipate the negative sort of doomsday, even apocalyptic uh, potentials of vast machine learning and decision making without any human control. And I recently read uh, an article by um, Subhash Kak, uh, who was writing on artificial intelligence and consciousness and the self. Um, he points out that uh, there may be more danger of humans treating AI like gods, rather than AI becoming like a god. Um, some people have wondered whether someday um, justice might be meted out by AI systems, whether, whether that might um, foster some equality in the justice system, but others wonder how, how would such entities be taught to understand the infinite array of human emotions and motives and extenuating circumstances and how would AI comprehend the value of mercy? That's a human attribute that mortals hope for in a human judge, but also in their gods uh, in many religions. So could AI be instilled with the emotions that uh, engender forgiveness and compassion. It seems like consciousness and essential human traits, um, like empathy, those derive from experiencing emotions, you know, living life in the world. And uh, it seems difficult to imagine how these basic features could be replicated in a disembodied machine uh, with AI, despite its vast data. Um, so um, I'm, I'm dubious about uh, the Church of AI. <laughs> That's a very fascinating topic. And if I may, um, you know, continue that line of thought with you, this idea that can AI have mercy or develop mercy? 
um, that's really the question of you know what David Chalmers once called the heart problem of consciousness, isn't it? Uh, because you know you know that's where the questions of consciousness begin to arise, and and I, I wonder. Uh, when you look around us already, even before we come to a point where we may have AI judges, but even when you look at the use of technology around you, you live in Silicon Valley, uh, all around you in America and other parts of the world. I wonder what, you know, what are your sort of, in a sense, thoughts or what are your reflections on the way human beings are using technology today? Well, I think, um, I think one of the one of the uh, negative potentials is this sort of the way AI technology is going to soon produce a black box uh, technology, which means that it will be inscrutable, um, opaque to the users. And we already see that in our daily life when we interact with uh, automated telephones and things like that. Um, uh, it's a black box. It, it will take and make decisions and take actions uh, and the basis of those decisions and what went into them will be unknown and inexplicable, not just to us users, but also to the makers of those AI systems. They won't understand the decisions uh, or the decision-making process and the, and the vast data that went into the decision by the AI. Um, it's interesting to me that some polls uh, that I've seen recently uh, suggest that atheism is the fastest growing group being checked off, uh, especially among young people uh, in the religious categories in polls about religion. Uh, just occurs to you that uh, perhaps this is a humanistic oriented development. Maybe that's related in some way to people anticipating and resisting what you might call the church of AI. And I wanted to ask you that, you know, on one hand, as you say that there was or there seems to be this growing movement of atheism. But some people also feel that even that has moved on in a sense, um, you know, because a lot of what we call liberal values or liberal communities today, uh, increasingly ethnographers and researchers are beginning to feel that perhaps that itself or those things in itself have become in a sense religions of their own. Um, you know, the, the, you know, feminism could be uh, in, in a sense almost have religion-like virtues of, of, for instance, bringing about a sense of community, a group um, of, of shared ideals, shared virtues, a hierarchy of virtues, and so on and so forth. Um, going beyond any understanding of racism and truly developing a, a secular world, a world free from racist attributes, could also be described like that, you know, a hierarchy of virtues, a community that people seek. Um, do, do, I, I wonder how you see these things because on one hand people are leaving aside organized religion and on the other hand it seems that technology is sort of pushing them towards you know this whole mindfulness um, uh, boom this this desire for a community in other places and people are finding communities around the world uh, not necessarily geographically contingent of course as you mentioned that's a really good point. Uh, I've talked uh, to some other people here in Silicon Valley who study uh, emerging religion or spirituality uh, among millennials and uh, um, younger generations. And many people are also calling themselves pagans. Um, they either practice in groups or uh, on a personal basis. So um, spirituality and religion seems to 
be a, a search for rules to live by, to achieve a good life in this world, treating others with dignity and compassion, um, even uh, being heroic and selfless. Um, so many religions value spirituality and contemplation of nature, um, sort of expressing awe of the universe and, and uh, natural powers, um, feeling that oneness and connectedness to not just other humans, but all things in the world and living beings. Um, so those values uh, don't seem to have anything to do with AI or uh, technology. They seem to be a resistance to that, uh, to that juggernaut um, of uh, advancing technology. Well, it's hard to see how those particular spiritual features that you're mentioning, sense of community and oneness um, and good values, uh, how will that uh, affect the destiny of AI and our own destiny? You might even say that people like Stephen Hawking are prophets of doom, um, pointing out that uh, if we continue on this path of uh, sort of relentless um, development of AI before we understand how to control it, uh, that we will um, be spelling the end of the human race. And in that way, you could you could see it as a kind of old-fashioned ap apocalyptic religion of a, a fight between good and evil, I suppose. I want to ask you, uh, in, in, the, in the research that you have done, uh, in all the gods and robots that you looked at, what were your most, most fascinating you know, robots and gods and creations, the ones that you were most fascinated by uh, through your research in this long history of technology? Well, I think uh, what's very interesting is that uh, many of the Greek myths imagine marvels of technology uh, created by Hephaestus, who is the god of not just the forge, he's a craftsman. In fact, he's the only god who works. He's the only god who has a job um, in the Greek uh, pantheon. Uh, he's always shown working and sweating over his work. Um, so he's, he's, uh, he's really sympathetic character. And he makes things like automatic gates that open and close for the gods and goddesses, chariots to come through uh, without having to stop. Um, these are the first automatic garage doors. And he made self-moving carts that uh, delivered ambrosia and nectar to the gods and goddesses at their banquets and then return when they're empty. He made automated bellows, a light labor-saving device for his forge. He made that um, eagle of Zeus that came to torture Prometheus, and it's described almost like a drone. It's, it's said to come like clockwork at the same time every day, and, and then um, peck out the liver of uh, Prometheus and then leave. It's like a drone almost. And one of the most amazing things that Hephaestus made was a crew of golden servants uh, and they were endowed with reason and mind and strength, but most amazingly, they were given all the divine knowledge of the gods. Well, that's a that's a data dump. <laughs> you don't need that much data, right? But who knows, you might need it. And that's actually just a, that's an amazing sort of ancient vision of artificial intelligence. I'm, I'm also really fascinated by the story in Homer of the, the ships that belong to this mysteriously advanced uh, culture called the Phaseans, ruled by King Alcanus, and he brags that he has this fleet of ships that are guided by thought alone, and they can um, they can take someone anywhere uh, they need to go. They don't need uh, rudders or oars or human pilots or navigators. They're steered by thought, and they're 
they're envisioned as sort of controlled by some sort of centralized system with a vast data archive of virtual maps and navigation charts. The king says to Odysseus, well, they can take you back to your home island. Um, they understand uh, where you want to go. All you need to do is mention your island and, and they will take you there. No danger of shipwreck or anything. And I think that I think there's a Hindu myth of, of something rather similar. There's, um, um, and I wanted to ask you about this, you know, because in India, uh, there has been a lot of talk about, you know, um, you know, flying chariots and, you know, um, you know, the, the, you know, magical sort of surgeries on the human body and, 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 you know, people growing limbs and, and then all kinds of things in Hindu mythology, right? Um, yes. How much of all that can be described as sort of early imaginations of technology? And I wonder what you think about that. I, I think absolutely. Certainly, that many people ask me because I focused on the Greeks uh, in my in my book uh, whether there was something special about the Greeks uh, in their imaginings of this, and I I disagree with that. I think it's a timeless and universal uh, um, tendency and impulse. Uh, you can find you can find many examples in uh, Hindu mythology and also in China. I I had a few examples in my book, but. Someone could write an entire book on this. I'm sure someone is working on that right now. But uh, I know that there were um, the, the sorcerer, the sorcerer uh, Maya or Maya, uh, yes. had a, a four-wheeled chariot made of gold, and it was supposed to be very gigantic. But what's interesting to me is very similar to the Homer story, uh, the story in Homer in the Odyssey. This uh, chariot could uh, uh, make voyages through uh, unbelievably long distances through space, water, and earth. Um, very similar to the, to the ships that were guided by thought alone. Uh, I think there are also stories of mechanical dolls and robots. And weapons, right? I mean, in the Mahabharata, Rama and War, have all these sort of very highly technological sounding weapons, so to speak. Yes, that's right. Uh, um, armored uh, armored um, tanks and things like that with um, cosmic missiles, things like that and that one of my favorite legends uh, from um, from India is is the story uh, that um, actually set in the times of Kings Ajasatru and Ashoka right. uh, after the death of Buddha um, uh, King Ajasatru actually was said to have hidden the relics of Buddha deep under a stupa or dome um, and guarded them with ro a robotic warriors who could spin as fast as the wind and slash any intruders. And they guarded those relics for 200 years until King Ashoka could come and defeat them. Uh, and um, some said he had the help of Vishvakarman to uh, defeat those um, robotic warriors uh, that um, the god shot his arrow into the bolts that held them together. So, I mean, these are technological products um, who had uh, built by technology and then uh, uh, destroyed using technology as well. I just find that a fascinating myth uh, that shows that many different cultures have tried to imagine uh, advances in technology long before the technology existed. Fascinating. I want to end this conversation with one last question, uh, Dr. Mayer, which is, um, you mentioned Professor Subhash Kak, and Subhash Kak was on this show, or was on the Grin podcast, and um, we interviewed him, and he spoke about 
whether he believes AI could ever have consciousness or not. And he said he tended to veer towards the argument that perhaps AI shall never really develop consciousness as consciousness was understood uh, in its defined format. I wonder which side do you veer? Do you believe AI could one day develop consciousness? Or do you believe like Subhash Kak that actually that might not ever be possible? I agree with him that it's uh, impossible because I think that consciousness uh, actually um, arises from being in a body. I, I think that uh, it's wrong to think that it can come from pure mind or intellect. Uh, our memories, our emotions, these all come from uh, experiencing life within a body. And uh, it seems very hard to replicate emotion even emotion. I mean, they have made IA um, that can write poems or things that look like poems. They're trying to teach AI to That's write right. stories. Yes. But uh, can AI ever tell a joke or make up a joke that we actually think is funny? Could it uh, engage in dark humor? Um, the, the ancient Greeks and Romans, and I'm sure many other cultures, uh, they understood um, humor about bad things i mean i these things these things are also complex and they come from living in a body as humans and responding to the world around us as a, a physical body so i think consciousness is related to that now that's maybe perhaps a, a very mundane point of view but um uh, i agree with uh Kak on that thank you very much dr mayor it's been a really enlightening conversation and thank you very much for writing a wonderful book. It was much needed. And I, I do believe that someone someday will write this, uh, even in other mythological traditions like the Chinese or the Indians, and they will certainly be inspired by your illuminating work. Thank you very much for speaking to us. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Dr. Mayor. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.